sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. I was blessed with Jonathan's um, opening there and the children's lesson. feels like things are flowing together quite well. What I'm going to talk about is God's thoughts and our thoughts and how they relate to each other. How does God think, and how do we think, and can they come together? And as I thought of Jonathan's message on peace, that's entirely about how we think. It has nothing to do with what's around us. That song listed a lot of difficult situations and troublesome times, but in the midst of that, there can be peace because our thoughts are right. It has everything to do with our thoughts. This is a very important subject. It's a large subject. And I would rather have someone else preach it because they could probably do a better job. I might not say everything that needs to be said. In fact, I know I won't. Many verses in the Bible talk about uh, thinking and how it relates to our thoughts and I won't be able to bring them all in. In a way... Talking about our thoughts is uh, kind of an interesting concept because we think about what we're thinking about. So how does that work? But it's important to consider the subject because it's kind of the bottom line of the Christian life. How we think, that's where everything starts. Romans 12.2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's probably one of the most important verses to keep in mind, is that we cannot control our thoughts. Our thoughts will not be right unless our mind is renewed, unless it's transformed not just improved, but transformed. On the other hand, if it's not transferred, transferred, transformed. Jesus said in Mark 7, 20-23, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That means they start in our hearts or in our minds. They start with a thought. Because thoughts precede actions. It starts in our thoughts and then it's actions. Not all thoughts result in actions, at least not right away. 
There's a saying that goes, we are what we think, but we might not be what we think we are. We are what we think. We spend a lot of time thinking about something, that's probably what we are. I had to think about, I don't have anything against hunting, but I don't think about hunting very often until the boys want to take off to go hunting. So I'm not a hunter, but my boys are. They think about hunting a lot. (laughs) What you think you are. One of the first verses that I thought about that relate to God's thoughts and our thoughts is found in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. It says, Therefore my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts are higher than ours, as high as the heaven is above the earth. And how high is that? If we would take a rocket and go straight up, how far would we go till we come against heaven? We'd never come against anything, would we? To me, that indicates that God's thoughts are infinitely above our thoughts. There's no comparison. And his thoughts direct his ways. So therefore, his ways are infinitely above our ways. God's thoughts direct his actions. So how should that uh, verse affect us? Or how that fact that God's thoughts are infinitely higher than ours. Well, it should definitely bring about humility. So we think how small we are compared to God. Humility and awe, respect for God, and also trust because he knows everything. His thoughts are perfect. He knows everything and so it can bring about a trust. So how can we ever relate to God's thoughts? But it's obvious that God wants us to know his thoughts so we can think the same things he does. Or maybe we should say think in parallel because we can never reach God's thoughts. But God's thoughts are up here and our thoughts may be lower, but they should be parallel. The same direction as God's thoughts. If they're not directed by God, our thoughts go down and God's thoughts go sideways. But we should be at least in parallel with God's thoughts. And God has made provision for us to be able to have our thoughts like his. I have several verses that bring that out. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9-16. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. See, we haven't thought of anything what God says for us, what God has for us. We can't even begin to think of it. Oftentimes we stop there and say, oh, it's just so great in the future. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. 
For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So God has made ample provision for us to know the things of God, to know what God's thoughts are. Because he has given us his spirit. And it kind of says there that nobody knows what I am thinking except myself and my spirit. Well, nobody knows what God is thinking except his spirit. And he has given us that spirit. So we can know what God is thinking. We have his thoughts all through the Bible. Plus the impressions that the spirit gives us. And then also in John 16, 13, and 14, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whosoever, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. That gives the same thought, again, of God giving us of his Spirit so we can know God and his thoughts. Now I have a few more things about God's thoughts. Psalms 139, 17, and 18 says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. These verses say an awful lot in just a few words. If we really stop and think about it, give us a very important glimpse into what God thinks of us. First of all, it talks about how precious they are. That means they're valuable. Do we realize how valuable they are? They are actually life-sustaining. If God wouldn't think of us, I don't think we'd be alive. Um, we tend to think that, now this is maybe going a little different direction, back in the time of creation, God spent one week making everything, and everything had seeds or babies or eggs or whatever to keep life going, and God worked one week, now he sits back and relaxes, and everything just takes on by, goes on by itself. I don't think that's what's going on. I think without God's continual intervention in nature, Everything would be chaos. I think he, his sustaining power is just as much at work as his creating power was in the first week. And it's the same way with us. If God would not be working in our lives every day, we would die. <clears throat> uh, 
It says that they are more in number than the sand. And there again, it's a numberless, it's an infinite number. God's thoughts of us. Somebody has said that we tend to think up to 50,000 thoughts in a day. Now, how in the world do you count thoughts? I don't know, but 50,000 is a pretty big number. Well, God's thoughts of us are without number, probably even in a day's time. All the thoughts that he have toward us, has toward us. Good thoughts. Thoughts of love. God loves us. <clears throat> and it would be, it's difficult for us to comprehend his daily thoughts of love toward us. You know, we don't have a, a daily hearing God's voice telling, him, telling us that he loves us. We can read it in the Bible, but we know it's there. Um, but I, in my studying, I came across a commentary that had a very interesting thought on God's love to us. <clears throat> so I'll just read that. When we are cherishing loving thoughts concerning some earthly friend, we find that we cannot satisfy ourselves without devising and bestowing some gift. If we love somebody, we want to give them something. That's just a natural response. And it is just the same with God. He could not satisfy himself with merely cherishing loving thoughts about us. He must do something for us. He must give something to us. He must give himself to us in some gift. And what shall it be? It shall be his most cherished possession, his dearest and best, his only begotten and well-beloved Son, that is indeed an unspeakably precious gifts, gift. Cannot we read the thoughts of God by the help of that gift? To me, that brought out just proof of God's continual thoughts of love to us. He gave us the best gift that he could because his thoughts are continually toward us. I find that it's easy to forget how much God thinks of me or of us. And I would guess that you are similar. It's easy to forget how much God thinks of us. If we don't communicate with someone for a long time, we assume that they are not thinking of us. You know, we communicate with God. It's difficult to have a communication with God like we do with friends speaking one-on-one -on -one and reading their facial expressions and having words that come so easily, you know. With God, it's different. And so we tend to start feeling like, well, did God think of me today? I don't know. But he did. There is no doubt that God thinks of us all the time. And I don't know how. We can only think of basically one person at a time, or maybe a whole group at a time. But God can think of us individually. He can think of everybody individually, completely. I don't know if I'm explaining that or not, but like if we're in a group of people, God thinks of everybody in that group individually, all at the same time. Now, we went over the fact that God's thoughts are so much higher than ours, 
And maybe we feel disconnected because of that. God's thoughts are so high that there's no way we can connect with God's thoughts. And so, why even try? People may use that as an excuse. What's the use? I'll just keep on thinking my own own thoughts. Running my own life, trying to fix my own problems. I don't think God really cares. And that's what the flesh wants to do. The flesh does not want to think like God. Flesh wants to think its own things. And there's an enemy that we have that is using the flesh in that way. It all started back in the Garden of Eden. And I'm going to read some of that first chapter. I thought about reading the whole chapter. I really like the chapter, and the more I read it, the more I like it. But I just got some of the phrases out and put them together to bring out the points that I want. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God made the firmament. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is the first instance of God's thoughts. And we can see immediately that they are way above our thoughts. He could think all these things through and then just say, let's have this happen and let's have that happen. And it happened. And then we notice that he says several times, and it was good. And then at the end it says, it was very good. God made things to work all together, and he was satisfied, or he was happy the way things worked. Well, I can identify with that feeling. I have made a few things in my life that actually worked, and it's a very satisfying feeling. You spend a lot of time thinking about it and putting it together, and lo and behold, it works. But when I make something to work, I make sure that everything is really in place. All the bolts are tight, and everything just, there's just no chance that it won't work. I do everything I can to make it work. Well, did God do that? God left a vulnerable spot. One spot was vulnerable, and that was the fact that he made man to have a will and to think, to choose what to think. And I'm not going to go into the details of why he did that, because I probably don't know. But that's what God did. And lo and behold, Adam and Eve chose to think their own thoughts. And that was the beginning of their problems. 
Adams had no problems when they thought like God. And after the fall, things went haywire real fast. Um, That's been the case ever since. People prefer to think their own thoughts. Ever since the fall of man, man's thoughts have been downward. Going to read Genesis 4, 3 to 13, that first big problem. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth, to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Going to quit there. So here we see that Cain had a problem. He had a real problem. But his problem was not what he thought it was. His first problem was his offering was not accepted by God. But that was not a major problem. He had a far bigger problem. It was how he thought about his problem. Oftentimes that's the case. Problems are not as much of a problem as how we think about them and how we respond to them. Instead of thinking like God about it, he let his feelings guide his thoughts. And out came anger, jealousy, lying, self-pity. What did God think about Cain's problem? All Cain would have had to do, and God said it, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Just do what I said, and you'll be fine. That's all Cain would have had to do, and his problems would have been over. But it didn't work that way. Cain thought that God and Abel were the problem. So he ended up in major difficulties. We would never do what Cain did. You know, Cain, I don't know if he realized he was going to kill Abel or not, but ended up doing pretty bad things. But at the same time, it's easy for us to fall into the same mistake that Cain did and let our feelings decide what the problem is. Our feelings get damaged or hurt, and they start rising up and affecting our thoughts. This is especially true in relationships. Feelings are such a major part of relationships. 
and can easily get hurt. And it's very difficult to put our feelings aside and say, hmm, I'm not going to listen to my feelings. I'm going to listen to God. It's just one or the other, you know. Nope, our feelings rise up and demand our thoughts almost. Very difficult to put them aside. But it's necessary. We need to put our feelings aside in those situations and say, God, you know this situation. You know exactly what happened. You know how I feel. But how do you want me to think about this? I don't want to let my feelings take over. Because that's going to be a problem. Let God direct our thoughts instead of our feelings. That is just so important. Another account that has somewhat similar results is Joseph and his brothers. You know, Joseph's brothers were jealous because of uh, Joseph was a favorite of Jacob's. I'm not sure how it all started. Probably Levi said, Hey, Simeon, did you notice that Joseph got the biggest piece of meat last night? Yeah, I did. And I also noticed that he never has to scoop out the sheep pen. I don't know why, he just sits around and never has to work like the rest of us do. Oh, they were just thinking this is pretty bad, and they started talking to their other brothers. Yeah, we all noticed that. That's not fair. They were getting upset at Joseph, even though Joseph had done nothing wrong. It was not Joseph that was out of place. And lo and behold, one day Joseph comes around with a fancy coat. And then the flame started almost burning. Boy, this is getting pretty bad. They all started talking and their feelings just kept getting bigger and bigger. Well, then Joseph made the mistake of telling him some dreams that he had. And then there was a fire. And their feelings convinced them that Joseph was the problem. They finally concluded that the only way to fix the problem is to get rid of Joseph. So they did that, and lo and behold, their problems got worse. They had a a conscience to deal with for many years because of that. And I think that every one of those brothers, if they would have had a chance to do it over, would not have got rid of Joseph. Now, we can look at this situation and easy see what the problem was. It's not difficult at all. I mean, it's just plain as day. But let's remember that our feelings were not involved. Our feelings are not involved in this story at all. So it's easy to see what the problem was. How many mistakes do we make because we let our feelings have too much freedom? And then we share them with others that we know will agree and our feelings are amplified. We need to go back to say, God, what do you think, want me to think about this situation? What are your thoughts? How do you want me to respond? And somehow, Joseph was able to rise above his feelings. I don't know how he could do that. But it seemed like he was... He had his mind fixed on God and never let his feelings determine what he thought.
So now if we go to the New Testament, completely the opposite situation of Christ and his thoughts. Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, 9 says, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And John 5.30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. John 6.38, For I came came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. The only way that Jesus could do the will of God was to let God have complete control of his thoughts. God, I'm going to think what you think. I'm not going to think my own things. I'm not going to let my own will get in the way. But I'm going to think the way you think, God. No feelings, no flesh could have an influence on him, but only God. No one since the fall of man could do that. But now that Christ did it, he was an example for us, and he gives us that power to be able to think like God, to think parallel thoughts with God. Second Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The battles we face are not physical battles, but they are a battle for the mind. A battle for the control of our thoughts. Who are we going to allow to control our thoughts? Talks about strongholds there, and I'm no expert on strongholds. They have something to do with the enemy establishing wrong thinking patterns in our mind. We talked quite a bit about how our thoughts work and how our mind works at the campout. We had a lot of good discussions, but I thought about that is, you know, that if we have wrong thinking patterns, it makes problems in our lives. But it says that we can tear down those strongholds by the power of Christ. And then it says, casting down imaginations. What are imaginations? Imaginations are things that aren't true, right? Just imagining things. You know, usually it's some fantasy world. Imaginations are things that are not true. Surely we wouldn't think things that are not true. But if we're not careful, we can do that. Our perception can get warped when we listen to our feelings or our flesh rather than to God. So we look at those examples in the Old Testament of Cain and Joseph's brothers. They were thinking about... They had imaginations that they were thinking about, imagining what the problem was when it wasn't true. And 
And then it says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If our thoughts are allowed to run free, they will always make problems. They will always lead away from God. But they need to be brought captive through the power of God. Then it says, to the obedience of Christ. And what is that obedience? We just looked at that. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. A commitment to allowing God to control our thoughts. Now this is a lot of work to bring our thoughts into captivity. It's not something that we can work out hard for a week and now the job is done. But it's a daily thing. Bringing our thoughts into captivity. Are we even a safe um, judge of whether we're doing that? We may think, yeah, we're doing pretty good. I think most of my thoughts are what God wants me to think. Well, what about that 5% that kind of take off on their own? It says, every thought, bringing into captivity every thought. Let's not give up, even though it's hard work. With the power of Christ, we can do that. Like to end with the verse in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things.